Section 3 of the Book of Wales. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Mike Botez. The Book of Wales by Frank Evers Bedard. Chapter 1, Part 2. The Pectoral Fin. The flippers of the whale correspond, of course, to the anterior pair of limbs in other vertebrates. Whales have only the rudiments of posterior appendages. The limbs vary much in length and shape, being sometimes rounder and sometimes longer and narrower. The tip may or may not be curved round the appendage, in the former case acquiring a falcate form. The limbs of whales do not seem to be much used for progression. They are rather used as balancers, and thus resemble the anterior fins of fishes. Scoresby studied the action of the fins through a telescope, and came to the conclusion that they were balancers, and besides, when a whale is dead, it heals over onto the side, a fact which seems to be a further proof that this is the function of the flippers. The superficial likeness of the whale's flippers to the fish fin has been mentioned. It is excitingly interesting to find that there are deeper-seated likenesses. These are, of course, coupled with essential similarities to the hand of the mammalia, and by comparing the two series of facts with each other, and with the fact derived from the study of other aquatic creatures, such as the seals on the one hand, and aquatic reptiles, such as Ichthyosaurus on the other, it seems possible to extricate characters that are due to the aquatic mode of life. It will be necessary, however, to preface the description of the actual facts in the structure of whales, with which we are concerned in the present chapter, with a brief account of the essential likenesses and the essential unlikenesses between the fins of fishes and the limbs of higher vertebrates. The fins of fishes consist of a number of cartilaginous pieces arranged in rows of which the proximal one to four are larger than the rest and articulate with the shoulder girdle or the pelvic girdle as the case may be. The cartilaginous or bony pieces are continued on at their ends by the horny fin rays which extend to the end of the fin. The number and arrangements of these various cartilages or bones is naturally subject to some differences in different fishes. It is not our object, however, here to do more than to call attention to the essential features in which the fins of fishes differ from the limbs of the vertebrates which lie higher on the scale. The fish fin is termed the ichthyopoterygium to distinguish it from the limbs of all vertebrates higher than the fishes which possess what is called the chiropterygium. The actual facts of difference are these. 
the Chiropterygium or hand like limb always consists of a proximal bone. The humerus or femur, which alone articulates with the shoulder girdle or pelvic girdle. This is followed by two bones, the radius and ulna, in the hind limb, the tibia and fibula. After this follows the carpus or tarsus, composed of varying number of small bones or cartilages. Then follow the fingers or toes, composed of varying number of bones. There are never more than five fully developed fingers or toes, and often there are less. But rudiments of one or two additional digits are believed to be represented by certain supplementary bones at the side of the first and of the last digit. In the Ichthyopterygium or fish fin, there is no such clear distinction into the several regions which characterize the Chiropterygium. The whole limb is shorter and often two or more pieces articulate with a limb girdle. The distal cartilages are generally more numerous than five, but they are not so much subdivided as they are in the Chiropterygium into a series of pieces following one another. It is not possible in the Ichthyopterygium to recognize clearly the several regions of the Chiropterygium arm, forearm, wrist, digits. Now there are two points in which the whale's hand and arm have come to be slightly modified in the direction of the Ichthyopterygium. In the first place, the distinction between hand and arm is commencing to vanish. The proportions between the bones is not so unequal as in typical mammals. The radius and ulna are short bones, and there is less distinction between the bones of the carpus and ensuing metacarpus than is seen in the terrestrial mammals. This modification, however, has not gone very far. As may be seen from the drawing on page 25, it is still perfectly easy to distinguish the several elements of which the arm is made up. It follows from this that the hand proper is larger in comparison with the arm than it is in terrestrial mammals. This is precisely what is found in the Ichthyopterygium. We may regard perhaps the larger cartilages which articulate with the shoulder girdle as corresponding with the humerus, radius and ulna. The commencing disappearance of marks of distinction between the different elements of the arm is, of course, correlated with the absence of a differentiation of function between its several parts. A broad fin, like that of a fish and of a whale, would be as efficient if there were an absolute similarity between its several cartilages as if there were a differentiation. The second point of likeness is not shown in all whales. In beluga, however, the last finger is divided into two fingers. Incompletely, it is true, but still the division is plain enough. 
This is a step in the direction of the polydactylous fin of the fish. In no whale, however, is this feature of resemblance shown to a greater extent. Together with these points of likeness, not numerous or strong, it must be admitted are obvious points of difference. The increased surface of the whale's paddle, desirable in an organ used as a fin, is affected in a different way from the fin of a fish. In the whale, the area is increased not much by multiplication of the fingers, but by their spreading out in a divergent fashion, so as to require a larger skin area, and by the increase of their length caused by the reduplication of the finger bones. The phenomenon known as hyperphalangy is usually in whales. The typical mammalian foot or hand is composed of digits which have but three phalanges, the thumb indeed possessing but two. In whales the number of phalanges may reach so great a number as seventeen. In the fish fin, on the contrary, the required area is obtained, firstly by the multiplication of rays, and secondly by the continuation of the fin as an expansion supported by the horny or calcified fin rays, which have nothing to do with the cartilages of the fin, but are exoskeletal structures. Rarely, as in the batoid fishes, skates, the cartilages of the fins increase and the horny fin rays disappear. The closest analogy with the whales is offered by those extinct aquatic reptiles, the ichthyosauria. Like the whales, they are clearly to be derived from terrestrial reptiles. There is no suggestion that is at all tenable that they have sprung separately on their own account from fishes. Their hand is still further advanced than is that of the whale, but along the same lines. There are, it is true, only five fingers, of which the last is split into two so far resembling the whales, but the number of phalanges is great in all these fingers. Not only is the hyperphalange of the ichthyosaurian manus more pronounced than is that of the cetacea, but the individual elements are less separable by their distinctive characters. A recognizable humerus is followed by a series of bones which can hardly be classified into radius and ulna, carpus and metacarpus, by their position and relations, so much alike are they in general appearance. But it must be noted that the number of phalanges in any given digit is not greater than what is to be met with among the whales. This, observes Professor Kukenthal, is a case of convergence, of which no better example could be imagined. In two groups of animals, so remote in the vertebrate series, as are the whales and ichthyosaurus, we have a modification into a paddle which has proceeded along precisely the same lines, only carried further in the reptile than the mammal. It will now be interesting to inquire to what degree 
the limbs of other aquatic animals that have been derived from terrestrial ancestors resemble the fins of the whales. We naturally turn, first of all, to the Sirenia and to the seals and sea lions. In comparing the pectoral limb of the whales with the ichthyopterygium and with the paddle of the ichthyosaurus, it was unnecessary to point out the absence of nails upon the former, for the presence or absence of these structures does not bear upon the question of comparison in the two cases. But the absence of nails must be mentioned in comparing the whale's flippers with the limbs of the manatees and sea lions. For the more perfect adaptation of the whales to an aquatic existence has led to the total disappearance in the adult of all traces of nails upon the digits. But Dr. Kuckenthal has found rudiments of these structures in the fetus, as has also Liebock. These structures consist of thickening of the epidermis, which is situated above the last phalanx. Now, in the sea lions and seals, nails are very well developed, but they do not lie at the extremities of the digits to which they belong. They are situated some way in the front of the point, and the limb is continued beyond them as a cartilaginous rod, not divided up into separate phalanges. It seems, therefore, that this cartilaginous continuation superadded to the bony phalanges which lie on the proximal side of it can have nothing to do with the hyperphalange of the whales. But the explanation or attempted explanation of hyperphalangry is a matter which will be treated of presently. As to the manatee, nails are present or absent, evidently, therefore on the wane, as might be expected in marine or at least aquatic animals, which have been longer denizens of the rivers and sea than have the sea lions. Longer in all probability, that is to say, since their adaptation to the aquatic life is more complete. Manatus inunguis is so named on the account of total absence of nails upon the hands. This has happened noted by several writers, and there can be no doubt about the matter. Now it is precisely in the group of the Sirenia that hyperphalange is also met with, but to a very small extent, nothing like what we find among the whales. Finally, among the amphibia, the same phenomenon is met with, so that the occurrence of hyperphalange may, as it seems, be fairly set down to the need for an increased surface of hand to form a competent paddle. A very singular fact about this hyperphalange in the whales is the existence of more numerous phalanges in the young than in the adult. Thus, in Phocaena communis, the phalangeal formula of an embryo seven centimeters long is 
1, 3, 2, 8, 3, 9, 4, 5, 5, 4 of an adult, 2, 8, 6, 4, 2 are the figures. This looks as if the adaptation to an aquatic life had, as it were, at first overshot the mark, the reduction taking place later, that the creatures started with too ample a provision for its needs to be later curtailed. Or, indeed, it seems more likely that the pectoral fin was originally a swimming organ and is now reduced to a mere balancer. The degenerating muscles argue the same way. The hand muscles of Balenoptera musculus are in all four. On the exterior side, i.e. the back of the hand, is a single extensor, the extensor communis digitorum. This has a short muscular head arising between the radius and ulna. It soon passes into tendon and on the wrist divided into four tendons, one for each finger. On the opposite side of the hand are three muscles. Two of these, the flexor profundis digitorum and the flexor longus pollicis, join together by their tendon and then split up into four tendons for the four digits. The fourth muscle is the flexor carpi ulnaris. It runs from the ulna to the pisiform bone in the wrist. We should therefore consider the pectoral fin as an organ which has undergone a change of function. Originally a paddle, large size, mainly brought about by hyperphalange, was necessary to it. The assumption of this function by the tail led to a reduction in the hand, which has progressed very much further in some whales than in others. Hind limb. Traces of a hind limb have been found in many whales. It is possibly represented in all, but it has not been discovered in a good many. Of all whales whose structure is known best, the hind limb is less reduced in Balena mistecetus. This is rather a curious fact in view of the usual opinion that the right whale, and indeed the whalebone whales, generally are the most modified of existing Cetacea. Nevertheless, in that whale there is a single bone representing the pelvis, and there are in addition small pieces of a bone or cartilage which correspond respectively to the femur and to the tibia. The femur is ossified in some 4 to 9 inches in length. The tibia is only cartilaginous. In the rorquals, there is an instructive series of stages in the reduction of the hind limb. In Balenoptera musculus, the femur is represented by a spherical bony nodule, first discovered by Sir William Flower in B. borealis and B. nostrata, 
no traces of a femur appear to exist. The actual limb itself does not appear to be represented in the toothed whales. It is the general view that the curved bone, which is all that is left of the actual pelvis, is the homologue of only one of three bones, out of which each half of the pelvis is formed in terrestrial mammals. It is considered to be equivalent of the ischium mainly on the account of certain muscles which are attached to it. Added to this, stress has been laid on the fact that it ossifies from one center only and not from three, as might have been the case where it the equivalent of three bones, ilium, ischium, and pubis, which constitute the normal mammalian pelvis. Professor Delage has ingeniously argued in favor of the theory that the single bone of the cetacea represents the entire series in the ordinary mammals. The continuity of the partly bony, partly cartilaginous mass is not necessarily fatal to the view, for where there are three separate bones, not to mention the small cotyloid, the cartilage which they replace is at first perfectly continuous mass, and as to the appearance of but one center of ossification in this mass, which gradually invades the whole, or nearly the whole, it may be that prolonged investigation will show that there are other ossifications, and in any case it might be that the whole mass being so reduced had only room, so to speak, for one center of ossification. In any case, there is a considerable superficial similarity between the small pelvis of Balenoptera and the fully developed pelvis of other mammals. There is a forward extension suggestive of an ilium, a downward process which might do duty for a pubis and hollow in the middle of the bone, which is not at all unlike the glenoid cavity. In this, indeed, rudimentary femur is lodged. The question is interesting as a general example of what happens when reduction through degeneration takes place. We shall recur to it presently, and in the meantime, deal with one or two other points in the structure of the hind limb. In Balenoptera musculus, the rudimentary femur is attached to the pelvis by two ligaments, one anterior and the other posterior. In these ligaments, rudiments of muscle appear in the shape of a few fibers. The actual correspondence of these muscles with those of terrestrial mammals depends, of course, on what view is taken of the homologies of ischium. If the pelvis is simply an ischium, then the arrangement of the bands of ligament would seem to show that of all femur left is the great trochanter, a process of that bone particularly well developed in many mammals. In Balena 
mysticetus, there are three recognizable slips of muscle. End of section three. Recording by Mike Botez.